Welcome to the live weekly message from the auditorium at Encounter. You may not be here in person, but you are still part of the family. Our speaker today is author and lead pastor, Michael Rice. church. It's good to see you this morning. I want to welcome all of you that are here live and all of you that are joining us online. Um, people literally log in from around the world. Isn't technology amazing sometimes? Uh, I want to burden my heart with what God has burdened me with. If you turn with me to the book of Daniel, chapter 11. Daniel, chapter 11, reading a single verse. I'm reading out of King James Version, verse number 32. Daniel eleven thirty two. And such as do wickedly against the covenant shall he corrupt by flatteries. But the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. I'm going to focus in on the second part of that verse. But the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. Would you stretch your hands this way and pray with me and for me? Father, I'm, I'm grateful for this truth that you are a good God. And I stand on your promises that nothing will return void, but your word will accomplish that which you have sent it to do. Now, Father, I, I just pray that you help me to do what you've called me to do. And Holy Spirit, I ask you, I implore you to do what you do so well, and that is to take truth and make it known to us so that we be more than just hearers, but we be doers of the word. So, Father, I just declare freedom I declare clarity. I take authority over every demonic spirit, everything that would hinder. And I just pray for a freedom in your house today, God. Amen. Listen, we are living in a time that without a doubt is unprecedented. And I, 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 want, I want to tell you that are waiting for things to return to normal, you're waiting for the wrong thing. That train has left the station. It will not be going back to that station. We're going forward. And the people of God need to grab a hold of this truth. It is not a time to cower in fear. The same God that was God 2,000 years ago, the same God that was God 20 years ago, is the same God today. The same God that got his people through back then will be the same God who gets his people through now, 
and who will get his people through going forward. It is not a time when the church... You, 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 I, I believe that many Christians have one of two mindsets. They feel like the church is under attack. That's one group. There is another group who understands we are about to invade hell. The first group will cower and ask questions. The second group will take territory and make declarations. And you and I get to choose what group we're in. In this verse, they are divided into two groups of people. Those that do wickedly and those that do great exploits. And the ones that do great exploits are clearly defined as to how they do that. It first said that they are people who know their God. That word know, as I've shared with you before, is a very intimate word. And Adam knew Eve, his wife. And she conceived. In the spiritual sense, there needs to be a relationship between you and I where God places the seed of who he is inside of us. And life is born out of that. And that life becomes a river of living water that flows out of us. It's an intimate knowing God. And there will come a day, the Bible says, that there will be people who show up expecting to get into heaven in the parable and they will say to Jesus, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not preach in your name? Did we not do wonderful works in your name? And they're shocked when he says, depart from me, I never knew you. You see, it's possible to understand the ways of God without understanding God. It's possible to know how God works without knowing God. And the people that will do great exploits will be people who know their God. They don't know him at an address in Streetsboro, Ohio, or wherever you may attend church. They know him as a God who is with us 24-7. He's with us no matter if things are going great or things are going bad. We, they understand that God can heal somebody on a Sunday morning in the middle of a service, but he can also heal somebody in the middle of Walmart. He doesn't need the preacher and the worship team to get it all together. He just needs somebody who knows him. Somebody that when he speaks, they know who that is. My sheep will know my voice. Sometimes people are shocked when I tell them God speaks to me, and I just returned it back. I said, he doesn't speak to you? What is wrong? 
He's a God who loves. Imagine a being a parent who refuses to talk to your child. Well, that's abuse. God doesn't abuse his people. He loves his people. Bible says, if any of you lack knowledge, let him ask of God, who will give liberally, and he won't upbraid you for asking. These are a people that know their God. I'm going to ask you, do you know your God or do you know your church? Some people know how to do church, but they don't know how to do God. They know how to go through the motions. They know how to work it up. They know how to gather a crowd. They know how to move a, a crowd with emotion. And people are drawn to that. They're drawn to that, that, that emotional fix because in a moment, in, in oratory, in sweeping words, their emotions are touched and they feel something. But Monday, when they go to work and they're confronted with a problem, they, they lose touch with God. They need the preacher and the worship team <laughs> to get them in touch with something. They, they lose it. How many know what I'm talking about? They lose it in a moment. I want to tell you something. Those people that know their God know that he said, I will never leave you or forsake you. They know that. They know that even when they feel him more and they sense his presence more, when, he, when we gather together, that he is not here less with us in the quietness of our home. He's the same God. There were no good old days. We are living in the good now days. This is an opportunity like never before for the church to be the church and to do great exploits for God, but it will be people that know him, that can look another individual in the eye and say, that isn't my God who did that to you. That didn't happen because of God. You can stand in God's footsteps that he's ordered of you and declare the counsel of God to somebody. You can bring to them the kingdom of God because you know your God. But the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. You will have other voices. You'll have other voices that tell you you're not good enough for God. Anybody ever heard that one? In the last hour? Somehow, listen to me for a moment. We may shock you with how old-fashioned we are in our holiness values, but I want to tell you, holiness does not make you good enough for God. It's a response to his love. It's not an effort to earn it. You and I, our righteousness is as filthy rags before him. Our goodness is never good enough. Some voices will tell you that God has not been good enough to you. 
Come on. Martha and Mary, we talked about it last week. They said, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. They blamed it on God. Lazarus was dead because God didn't do what God was supposed to do. Don't give me that pious look as if you've never had that thought. Because the enemy brings that to all of us. Your problem is because God allowed you to be born to those parents. You know, we can sometimes blame God by blaming somebody else. Adam. Some people think that Adam blamed Eve. He didn't really blame Eve. Adam said, Lord, that woman you gave me. God, those parents you gave me. Are we getting closer to home now? God, that husband you gave me. That wife you gave me. That job you gave me. Come on now. I'm struggling because of something you did. Well, this is good stuff, folks. And we hear those voices. I've learned in my walk with God. I, I can't explain everything about God. But I refuse to let those things I don't know about God overshadow those things I do know about God. My understanding and relationship with God starts with this. He is good. Always good. He is love. He doesn't just love, he is love. And if something appears to my life as if it's from God, but it's not good, and it doesn't appear to be love, then I'm not going to blame God for that. I've got to the place in my walk with God, I don't need to understand everything about God. In fact, to take it a step further, if I understood everything about God, I am him. And I'm not. Turn to the person next to you and say, you're not God. You're not God. God is love. We can't move from that location. Everything has to be grounded in that truth. He's not love because he does love. He loves because he is love. And that's the location of my relationship with him. Hear me. We love him because he first loved us. Understand he's the pursuer and we're his capture. Our love for him is in response to his love for us. And so your adversary is always trying to accuse God to you. Just like he accused God to Eve. No, God's trying to keep something from you. If you eat that, let me know what I'm talking about. 
I want to tell you, God has never withheld one good thing from any of us. He has never withheld one good thing from any of us. We want the peace. Can I tell you something about peace? This is a short rabbit trail, but I need to tell you something about peace. You cannot know the peace of God until you have peace with God. There came a time in my walk with God when I quit wrestling with him. He's never been wrong. There's been times I've spent years of my life thinking he was wrong. And in a moment, he showed me it was me. Had a terrible relationship with my dad. He was a drunk. He was a tough man to love. He's an old Navy man. He did the best he could, but he was just tough. He was just tough. I'm not going to go through the whole story again, but I was honored to be in his hospital room when, unbeknownst to me or anybody else, he was a matter of days from dying. I was in that hospital room, and it was awkward. I didn't know what to say to him. He didn't know what to say to me. He wasn't a talking person anyhow. And we're chit-chatting as much as you can chit-chat in those kind of circumstances. And finally, something welled up inside of me. It was a call from my real dad. I said I needed to engage my dad about his relationship with him. I was sitting at the end of his bed in the chair, and I stood up, and I looked at him, and I said, Dad, I need to talk to you about God. And I walked towards him, and you got to understand, you got to understand, you don't tell my dad nothing, okay? And he listened to me, and I took 20 or 30 minutes and just shared my heart. And I'm crying, which he always told me was a sign of weakness, he had the stupid idea, I'll, I'll beat you till you quit crying. But I'm sharing God's heart with him, and I'm crying, and I'm, I'm sharing with him. And, and all of a sudden, I look, and there's tears in his eyes. I'd never seen him cry. In 62 years of life, I'd never seen him shed a tear. And he's crying. And I got done, and I said, do you want to accept God's forgiveness? And with a stammering lip, he told me, yes. But I don't know how. So I told him how. I took his hand and I prayed with him. And God gloriously came over him and changed him right in front of my eyes. I literally could see all the anger, like you pulled the plug and it just drained out. A different man was laying in that bed. We hugged for the first time as dad and son. Later on, I left that hospital room fully expecting that this was the beginning of a new life between us. We could finally talk. We have something in common now. We, 
Anybody relate to what I'm talking about? We could share. And just a few days later, I lived two and a half, three hours away. Just a few days later, I get a call. Your father's gone. I went through years of hardship with that. I said, God, I don't understand why you did that. We, we <laughs> it wouldn't have hurt me any to have my dad look me in the eye and say, you know what, son, I'm sorry. Can anybody relate? That wouldn't have upset me if he'd have done that. <laughs> it wouldn't have bothered me if we'd have been able to share. And I, I don't care whether you're five or 65. You always want the approval of your father. I, I understand. I'm not much of a preacher, but it, man, it would have meant something to have him come to just one service. And when it was over, him to say, son, you did a good job. And that was all taken from me. And I kept in my heart a bitterness towards God. I said, God, I don't understand. Why, why couldn't he have lived just a year or two? Why, why couldn't we have had that connection? And I allowed myself to get angry with God about that. And all the while I'm in the ministry. And yet, see, God, I think God allowed me to go through that so that I could preach this today. Because there came a moment he interrupted my day and he simply said this to me. He said, son, I took your father at the moment he was assured of heaven. And that, that brought a relief to my heart, but in my heart of hearts I said, Okay, I understand. I, I sure wish just once he could have heard me preach. I know I'm not once much, but I, I wish he could have been there for just one time. And he said, son, he heard you preach one time, and he got saved. <laughs> and I'm thinking... What a goofball I am. I've been mad at God for the timing of all that when it's perfect. They will know their God. They'll know him. He's a 24-7 God. And to truly have peace of God... You have to have peace with God. I feel like the Holy Spirit is fingering somebody's heart right now. Either here or online. There's something in your heart that you've been blaming God for. And you need to release that. In Jesus' name. Knowing brings into being. Turn with me, Wood, to the book of Luke, chapter 4. 
Knowing brings you into being. Luke chapter 4, verse 1. And Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being 40 days tempted of the devil. I want you to notice that pattern. Jesus being full of the Holy Ghost and being tempted of the devil. Let me allow the Holy Spirit to break through with truth because the enemy wants you to think that if you were full of God, you wouldn't be tempted. But Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, was being tempted. That's a good word. I could sit down right now and I've preached a house full right there. Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, was being tempted. I want to tell you something. In my, my years of walking with God, those two are always seemingly connected together. The greater I'm full of God, the greater the temptation. The more I go after God, the bigger the struggle. And I used to get derailed because I thought if I was really going after God, then I wouldn't get sick. If I was really going after God, I wouldn't have these financial troubles. If I, wasn't really, if I was really going after God, I wouldn't have these relationship problems. And I want to tell you that probably because you are going after God, you are being tempted of the devil. So you can allow that temptation to drive you away from God or towards God. But you can't make it go away. It's going to happen. The enemy is going to do his job. Every being moment from God triggers a being moment from the devil. And when you see it that way, it's almost funny. Because you know exactly what it is. When you go after God, you make a fresh commitment and you go after God and, and you're pursuing him and all of a sudden you start to get sick. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You can do one of two things. You can, you can start to, well, God, I don't understand. I was going after you and then this happened. Anybody ever been there? Okay, I, I keep asking because sometimes you all look at me like a calf looking at a new gate, okay? Like, Pastor, we've never, we've never seen that before. Being tempted is not a sign that God is absent from your life. Jesus was 
tempted in every way like as we are, yet without sin. When you allow the Holy Spirit, listen, this changes everything. When you allow the Holy Spirit to reveal this to you, that being full of the Holy Ghost will cause you to being tempted by the devil. So when you see the devil tempting you, you know that's a sign that you are full of the Holy Ghost. You're full of God, and that's why you're being tempted. I've noticed something when watching a football game. The, the, the running back who's sitting on the bench with the clean white uniform starts the game with a clean uniform and ends the game with a clean uniform, and he never got tackled. It's the guy carrying the ball that gets tackled. So when you recognize that, that this attack from the enemy is not a sign that God has forsaken you. It's a sign that the enemy knows, listen to me, that you are going from knowing to being. And when you be, become that, then you will do that. Know, be, do. They will know their God. Amen? So look what the enemy does. Luke chapter 4, verse 3. And the devil said to him, see, these are the temptations. Tell me if this sounds familiar to you. And the devil said to him, if thou be the son of God, command this stone that it be made bread. Listen for a moment. Immediately prior to these verses, what has happened? Jesus has gone down to the water. John the Baptist has baptized him. He came up out of the water. The Bible says that the spirit descended upon him like a dove, and a voice from heaven spoke and said, This is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. Satan says... If you're the beloved son, or if you're the son of God, perform. <laughs> Nobody's ever been there. If you were really saved, you wouldn't have done that. Come on. I'm not condoning sin. You're not hearing but he'll play that. You know what happens is when we get convinced that we've sinned, we, don't, we, we sometimes just tend to just dive into the pool then. Oh, what's the use? I'll, 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 never, I'll never be whole. I'll never be right. I was just at church Sunday morning. I got a blessing like you can't even imagine. And here it is Tuesday, and I've already blown it. I mean, you know what I'm talking about? I've already blown it. I've lost my cool. I did this, I did that, my eyes tarried too long. I... Satan is trying to get you to think that you are a child of God because of something you've done. But it's not by works that any of us can boast about. I am a child of God because he says I am. 
I don't need an end to that. And the enemy wants to take and make you think that it's performance-based. And that's a false religion. That just because I've performed well, I'm a child of God. Or worse, because I'm performing better than you. I'm more of a child of God than you are. Satan was trying to take his being and make it a performance-based. Satan knows that the recipe is being enables us to do. And he wants to change it into our doing enables us to be. Help the person next to you and say, wake up, you're missing good stuff right here. Listen, folks. The promises of God are either performance-based or they're promise-based. And I'm glad they're promise-based. The Bible says that we are his, listen to me, we are his workmanship. You know what that means? It means you need work done. I did not go out to Gail Best's car this week and fix anything. Because it runs. There's nothing wrong with it that I know of. Now, when we used to have that van with 300,000 miles on it, it was more like, okay, what are we going to fix today? <laughs> I know Gail Beth hated that van, and for good reason. The air conditioner long ago quit working, and I didn't replace it. And then the doors wouldn't always open, and things would rattle and shake the faster you drove. Parts fell off. And all it did was increase our gas mileage because it's weighing less and less and less <laughs> and less. It got to the B. It, you know how they talk about Christmas in July? We had Christmas in July and August and September, October, because you get in and start it, the dashboard is lit up like a Christmas tree. I mean, just about every light that could go on would come on. It was Christmas all year round. You don't work on a car that doesn't need work done. How many can admit I need some work? But his working on you isn't preparing you to be good enough. His calling you, somebody's got to get this, made you good enough. He's working on you because you're now his own. He has bought you with a price. I've never once drove down the road and seen somebody's car out front with the hood open hold in the driveway and say, well, I'll fix it. It's not my car. That's their problem. God is working on you and I because we're his child. Look at Luke chapter 4, verse 5. And the devil, taking him up into a high mountain, and showed unto him all the kingdoms of the world, in a moment of time. Did that ever catch your attention? 
all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. Not just what was there then, but what was ever going to be. Showed it to him in a moment of time. And the devil said unto him, all this power will I give thee. And the glory of them for that is delivered unto me. And to whomsoever I will, I give it. He tried to make it about performance, and Jesus didn't bite. So now he tries to make it about possession. Just because you live in a half a million dollar house doesn't mean you're more loved by God than the homeless man. Just because you prayed, listen to me for a moment, this can go both ways. Just because you prayed and God blessed you. Just because you prayed and the blessing showed up does not mean you're more saved than somebody else. Possessions are not an indicator of our being. And listen, folks, we are living in a society that's drunk with that. I hardly can't even get on my tablet and read the news without them thinking it's important that I knew that this actress wore this dress out to this dinner with this guy. Like, I could really care less. Come on. Well, that she had a Da Vinci this, and they had this, I don't know none of the names, so she had this dress on, and he was sporting this coat, and how many know what I'm talking about? And listen, it, it's just not them. People wear clothes because of the name of, I've had people tell me, I won't wear nothing that's not name brand. Had a preacher fit down the story. He was at the General Assembly years ago. Standing around with some preachers, and some preachers can get caught up in the, the, the value of the suits that they wear. And five or six of them were standing around, and one guy says, Hey man, that's a nice coat. What do you what what, what brand coat is that? And he pulled it on, and he said, Well, the, it's Italian made. I paid X amount of hundreds of dollars for it, yada yada yada. Next person said, I'll tell you what, I paid almost $800 for this coat. Yeah, they pulled it open up. Next one said, I, I wear this. I only, only shop at JCPenney. I, I, I get their top of the line. And the one fellow that told the story said he was embarrassed because he buys his coats at Goodwill. So it came his turn, and he, he said, what? Well, this is who I put my trust in. He pulled it open so you could see on the lapel, you know, the, the name. He thought it would say Goodwill. It was a Playboy suit. And he said, here's who I put my trust in. And there's a Playboy bunny there, you know. So then he had to explain, I, I thought it would say Goodwill. People, name brand shoes. I'm sorry, I don't get into that. A couple of years ago, I had some teens come up to me. It was a thing going around. 
had some teens come up to me. I, I could tell they were up to mischief. And they came up to me and they circled around. And on the count of three, they all went, what are those? <laughs> I guess that was the thing with the teens, you know. You're wearing shoes that aren't name brand. And so I said, I don't know what these are. I bought them on Amazon. I just go in and click black shoes, 11 wide, buy. I don't know what name brand they are. I checked. I bought these nine years ago. Same shoes. I'm, not, I'm just not one of those guys that gets all wrapped up in name brand. But, but, but I do have a concern. We, we have people who's got everybody else's name all over themselves except their name. What you wear doesn't make you. Come on. Possessions. You're not more blessed because you drive a Mercedes or less blessed because you drive a piece of junk. He's now changed it from you are what you do to you are what you have. I want to tell you, validation that comes from possessions is not from God. It's not. If you have a possession-based sense of value, you'll sell your soul for a bowl of soup. I got somebody who did that. Go take you back in the Bible and show it to you. Let's look at one more. Luke 4, verse 9. And he brought him to Jerusalem and set him on a pinnacle of the temple and said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down from hence, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee. And in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. You see, this is a popularity-based. He was telling Jesus the temple. You've got to understand where he said to go, to the temple. It wasn't the biggest building in Jerusalem, but it was important that Jesus go to the temple because what was indicative at the temple Listen to me for a moment. This is important. See, in the temple was where the Sadducees and the Pharisees were. The people that disliked him the most. Listen, this is for somebody. And the devil said to Jesus, if you go there to where those people who dislike you the most and throw yourself down and you're not hurt, you will gain their favor because they know the scriptures. Are you with me? There's a danger in chasing after the popularity, especially of the people that don't like you. Come on. Post on Facebook, and then you watch to see who is 
that one person likes it. Because you feel validated by that. I know what I'm talking about. That person who six months ago said I was a piece of garbage, but look, oh, they just like my post. Maybe I'm not garbage anymore. Wear clothing that seeks to get validation out of somebody. Do things. Preach a sermon that seeks to get validation from people. Say something. Go somewhere. Do something that seeks to get validation. I'm going to close with this thought. Listen to me for a moment. We're living in a time like never before. The church is going to have to get to the place where we love not our lives unto death. If we compromise our beliefs to become popular with somebody, as a body of believers, if we compromise our beliefs to not get looked down on, how many can relate to that? We are falling into the enemy's trap. It's a term I, I, I'm sure others have used it, but I, I call it negotiating with a terrorist. The terrorist says, I want you dead. Well, let's talk about that. How about, how about if I just let you whack off an arm? Would that, could we find some common ground here? Could we, could we get kind of meet in the middle? You want me dead? I don't want to die. Could you just whack off an arm? I'm being silly, but listen, the analogy is perfect. Yeah, I'll whack off your arm, but I'm not stopping there. Okay, but what if, what if I let you whack off both arms? Could we then be friends? Could we be at peace? Are you following me? Tara said, I'll be glad to whack off both your arms, but I'm not stopping there. I want you dead. Don't appease or seek to appease those people who don't like you anyhow. It's not your job to change that. So if you know, that causes you to be. When you are being, that causes you to do. Don't get it backwards. Don't do thinking that makes you be. Come on. Did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out devils in your name? Did we not heal in your name? Jesus said, yeah, I never knew you. I never... Doing does not cause you to be. 
stand to your feet this morning. Holy Spirit, have your way. Father, I'm so thankful that it's not a performance-based relationship we have with you. It's not a possession-based relationship we have with you. It's not even a popularity-based relationship we have with you, God. You will leave the 99 and come after the one. What you've called us to do is to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things shall be added unto us. You've called us to know you, God. You said that to your disciples that there was a time when you didn't tell them things because they were servants, but now that they're friends, you reveal other things to them. Friends tell friends secrets, God. Out of that knowing, God, it changes my being. It frees me to be who you called me to be. Who you've fashioned, who you've destined me to be. And out of that being, God, I can do Know, be, do. You know what we do? We, we take the kingdom of God wherever we go. Look at me for just a moment, and then, unless the Lord leads differently, I'm going to have you pray for each other. We, take the, we are vessels of the Holy Spirit. We are carriers of. I posted on Facebook a while back, everybody who meets who you meet, you owe them an encounter with God. You are a carrier of the presence of God. And when the Holy Spirit quickens to you somebody that in that moment you become to realize that there is something about their life that isn't aligning with the kingdom of God and God wants to fix that, you engage them right there. You, it doesn't matter who they are or what they've done or where their belief system is, or their, their societal status, you just engage them for the kingdom that you represent right there and right now. Amen? And you just seek for the kingdom of God to be brought to them to fix what's going on in their life. And so... I'm just taking the kingdom of God wherever I go. It may be something small I say to somebody. Just yesterday, we were at a garage sale. It was an estate sale. Got to look into some things that were for sale, and the lady that was running it, they were pretty disheveled. It was a mess. And the lady, there was no price stickers on anything, and you couldn't even tell what was or what wasn't for sale. And so I asked, I'm, I'm not sure what's for sale and what isn't. And she said, everything. 
you see something, point and offer. And she said, listen, I'm just a caretaker. It's a, this is an elderly husband and wife, and, and he's going in a nursing home, and she's going to assisted living. They've got dementia, Parkinson's, and the family, the daughters asked me to step in and help, you know, with divesting of all this property. And, and she says, we don't know what we're doing. I'm, I'm just, she said, I'm just trying to help. So we bought a few things, and we're loading them up in the truck, and the Holy Spirit just all of a sudden gave me a, a heart for this lady that was just there helping. And I said, listen, thank you. She goes, oh, no big problem. I, I could carry that out. I said, no, 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 not for that. Thank you for caring for these people. I said, the truth of the matter is, your job is a thankless job. But you're a hero. And she just looked at me. She goes, I never thought of myself as a hero. I said, well, God just put it on my heart to tell you that you're a hero. Thank you for your kindness. I, I stuck God in there. And she won't forget that. She won't forget that. There was a small way, but she won't forget. Listen, I want to tell each and every one of you, we've been called to do great exploits for God. You will never be entrusted with a great exploit until you do the little exploits. Thank you for joining Michael Rice, Lead Pastor at Encounter. More messages from Pastor Rice are available on our website, www.wreckedbygod.com. On our website, you can subscribe to our regular podcast or on iTunes. Find us on Facebook under Encounter.